Well, you can give a hand to Katie when, she, when she's here uh, next few weeks. For those of you uh, you don't know, Katie is one of our uh, young professionals. She's been, she's uh, going through uh, pharmacy school. She's looking for a job. And so when she was sharing that story with us in our home group, and I thought it was really appropriate because uh, that is what we're going through in our English service right now. Uh, we're on a series called Made for More. My name is Ben. You can call me Ben, Pastor Ben. I'm the English pastor here at our church. And we're going through this series called Made for More through the book of Ephesians. Uh, just a quick review. I see some new faces here today. Uh, we've been talking about this framework called Be, Do, Go. The way for us to be aligned in what God has called each one of us to do in this life fits into that framework. Now, we need to understand who we are, who did God create us to be, and that flows into who did God create us to do. But for most of us, we kind of, and then once we know what we're supposed to do, we look for what God calls us to do that thing at. But for many of us, we have it backward. We look for the place to go, then figure out what to do there. Then we let that thing that we do define who we are. And we talked about this idea of primary and secondary calling. That we have a primary calling that's, that's the same for every one of us. Every one of us created by God to be sons and daughters of God by faith through Jesus Christ. We are all the same. We have the same be for primary calling. We have the same do for primary calling. We have the same go for primary calling. But the secondary calling is different for each one of us. Because we're made uniquely for different career tasks, different seasons of life that would exercise the calling that God has given to us. So we began last week talking about the primary calling, and uh, we talked about B, and uh, the big idea last week we talked about it was that we were made to be sons and daughters of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, if you have your Bible with you, Ephesians 1 verse 45 says this. Last week we preached through that passage, the first part of Ephesians 1, it says this. Even as God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. We talked about this idea of adoption. That as a kid, you don't get to adopt, you don't get to adopt yourself in someone else's family. The parents needed to adopt, our family needed to adopt you. And the amazing thing is God chose to adopt us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is our identity in Christ. We talk about the phrase in Christ happened ten times in that small passage. The relationship with Christ allows us to be adopted, to be sons and daughters of God. Nothing we have earned, nothing we can do. And so now out of that, we, we call that part, we kind of label that part called the, the symphony of praise. How the apostle will praise God for the people in Ephesus, the believers in Ephesus, and subsequently for all of us as Christians, we ought to praise God for that. We don't get to be sons, of, sons and daughters of God on our own. We get to be sons and daughters of God by faith and grace of our Lord Jesus. So today we're going to flow to the second part of Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 15 to 23. And uh, all of you have read that earlier. And we also kind of, uh, last week I said that the first part is called symphony of praise. Then the second portion is called the strategic prayer. 
that Paul gave this great praise about who we are in Christ, that we're sons and daughters, but then he moved on to pray a very strategic, specific prayer for those sons and daughters of God, that included all of us sitting here who have put our faith in Jesus. So the question now is, what did Paul have in mind in praying? What did he pray about? So if you can join me, I'm going to read the passage again with us. It is not on the screen, so you can please have your Bible open. Uh, chapter 1, verse 15. And I want to notice, uh, kind of pick up what did Paul really pray for. Because Paul went on this long run-on sentence again, just like he did in verse 4 to four, uh, uh, 3 to 14. He has this one run-on sentence. Now he has this run-on long prayer. And you need to pay close attention to what he was praying about. Here's what it says. Verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, and that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. Here are three things that we see here that Paul prayed for the people of God. The first thing we see in verse 18, at the end of verse 18, it says this, that he was praying that they, they will know the riches of the glorious inheritance, that we can have inheritance. We covered that last week, that as children of God, the great parent of God, gave us inheritance as of eternal value. Verse 3 says that we have every spiritual blessing. That's the inheritance that we get. We also have hope in Christ. We also have hope in Christ. Verse 18, that we that you may know that what is the hope to which you are called to. Paul prays so strategically, so emphatically, that our eyes of our hearts will be open. Because these are important things. But not only our hope, not only our inheritance, there's one more thing that is really important that he spent a lot of time praying over the people in Ephesus, the Christians in Ephesus, and us, is this idea that we have what in verse 19 says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Paul prayed emphatically, passionately, for you and I to know the power that is in us. The word power is the same Greek word as dynamite. Paul is praying that we will know, that our eyes, our heart, that we are convicted to know there is this dynamite, this power inside of us. I want you to, to listen carefully again how Paul described this power. One is, is immeasurable, it's great. There's nothing that can contain this power. But more than that, here's what he says. According to the working of his great might, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. What kind of power are we talking about? It is a power that's above, beyond this world. It is a power beyond Pilate. It is a power beyond the, the temptation that Jesus felt at Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Not as my will, but your will be done. 
This power is the power that is greater than the nail on his hands, nails on his feet. This power is greater than the mocking voices that Jesus heard when the soldiers around him said, if you can't save yourself, get yourself saved. Ask God to send the angels to deliver you. That is the power. And beyond, even greater than that, this is the power that moved that stone in front of his tomb. Three days later, after he was buried, three days later, the stone was removed. The, the body of Jesus Christ was resurrected physically. That is the power. What kind of power do we have in us? The Paul said, the power of Jesus, the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. There's no man in this world has ever been raised from the dead on their own. If you ever visit a cemetery, you cannot, no matter how hard you cry out, how hard you bang on the wall, how hard you scream, the dead people that was buried would never raise up on their own. It doesn't matter how passionately you pray, but here's the power that God has given over to Jesus. This power, he said in, in verse in verse 21, that is far above every rule and authority and power dominion here on earth, every name, every God that we claim that there is in this world is not only the power of this age, but the age to come. Now, while all that sounds really good, that Paul said, well, I need to pray for you, and the reason why I believe Paul needed to pray for you and I and pray for the believers in uh, Ephesus to get their eyes opened up to see this is because we often don't see this. We often forget that as sons and daughters of God, we have this great power. I've said it many times as believers, sometimes we come up as weaker than unbelievers. But the reality Paul wanted to pray for us to realize, to, to come to terms with, to be convicted is, is that we have this power in us. I want to share a little, uh, a little hobby that I have, a little uh, thing that I love to do when I was younger. When I was younger... Uh, it might be for those of you who are young, can you go next slide, please? Those of you who are, who are, who are younger here now, you probably have no idea who this who this is. But those of us who are older, uh, particularly if you were born in the '80s, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is one of my favorite cartoon. His name is He-Man. If you want to catch up on it, you, it's actually on Netflix now. You can go watch it on Netflix. He-Man and this is his cat, uh, Battle Cat, Green Battle Cat. And what happened is He-Man was an alter ego of Prince Adam. And he has this cat, really scary cat. He doesn't uh, the cat doesn't like, you know, really, really timid. And but whenever they're just like every other good hero, when there's evil presence, He-Man will try. Uh, Prince Adam will transform into He-Man, and then he will have this shield. He will have this sword, and then his scary cat will become Battle Cat, and then they just go roar. And of course, just like every other act, uh, hero, they will always defeat the evil. And I grew up, I love this, and I love it so much that my parents actually bought me this toy figure. That of He-Man and the Battle Cat. And I was Googling online, they actually still sell it on eBay. And uh, I'm tempted to buy it, but I actually, I lost my old one. And so what, so I have these, these things, I will play at home, I will play by myself with my sister. Like there's nothing my He-Man cannot do. There's nothing the Battle Cat cannot conquer. They can jump in the air. They can go swim in the ocean. There's amazing things that my hero, uh, my, my action hero figure can do. But here's the thing. When it comes to real life, when I get made fun of at school, I would not take that He-Man out and say, See, my He-Man is going to beat you. Stop making fun of me. When I was in the first grade, I had appendicitis. So I was rushed to the hospital. Even, even though in my head, He-Man was the greatest hero there is. At that time, I did not bust out my toy figure and said, let him do the, uh, perform the, the operation. 
Because in my heart, I know that this is all a figment of my imagination. See, for many of us, we kind of come to Jesus in the same way. We have this thing called little Jesus syndrome. We know in our head, we think we know in our head that how great this Jesus is for us. Man, he is the greatest of all. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We sing it even on Sundays. But Jesus was just this little action figure for us. That we think we is powerful, but in reality, when things come to turn, we will never claim Jesus. We will never trust Jesus with our lives. When difficult circumstances come around, I'm not going to whip out my little Jesus action finger and he just start preaching. And it will work. Because somehow we think that the Jesus we believe in does not come with any power. Do you believe that there is power in you? Not because of you, but because of Jesus. Do you believe what Paul is praying for the people of God? Do you have a little Jesus syndrome or do you have a little figure figurine that's called Jesus? Or do you have the real deal, the real Jesus that is at work in your life, the one who's been raised from the dead? The one who is sitting at the right hand of the Father today, praying, interceding for you. In your moment of valleys, in your moment of troubles, in your moment of temptation, there is this power so great that he has put his, uh, the Holy Spirit living in you. That is the power that Paul was praying for the believers. That is the power Paul is praying for those of us who are sons and daughters to realize his power. See, Jesus needed to be more for us because Jesus is always more. See, for many of us, we live in a very lesser life. Jesus is not more for us. We don't want to trust in Jesus. We don't want to take faith in Jesus. We don't want to obey Jesus because we think Jesus is that little Jesus. But Jesus wants to be more for you because he calls you as co-heirs. He, he calls you as brothers and sisters. In God's eyes, you are co-heirs with Christ. Romans chapter 8. Do you believe in that? Do you really believe what Paul is saying? These truths are proclaimed over you and is real for you. Because as we continue to read Paul, make sure the church of Ephesus understand that it is not just only for you. Because when you continue to read, he explains all these things about his power. But when we come to verse 20 and 23, he kind of changes the title. Your title and my title, your identity and my identity. He no longer calls us sons and daughters anymore because in verse 22, here's what it says. And he says this, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. You can pass over to the next slide. Keep going. There you go. Paul often changed this identity that we have. He's not saying that you're no longer sons and daughters of God anymore. He's no longer. He's not just saying. He's not saying that you're no longer uh, of brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe Paul here changes the title of us being the church is because he wanted to understand that the power in you is not only for you. That you don't only get the power, this resurrecting power, for your own convenience. For your own comfort, for your own safety, for your own security, for your own identity. Because he will wait on for the rest of the book of Ephesians talking about this power that is supposed to be at work among us and through us for somebody else. And that somebody else is the broken world that we live in. The power that is in us is not only for us. Let me put it another way. The church does not exist for you and me. 
but the church exists for the world. Where did I get that? Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 23. Here's, the symbol, here's, the, here's what Paul told us. That the function, the mission of the church is to bring the fullness of Christ into every nook and cranny of this world. This broken world. Look at the passage. He says this, and he put all things, God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church. Who's the church? You and I. The people of God made up the church. And as the church, what are we supposed to do? We are God's, we're Jesus, we're the, God's body, with Jesus being the head. But the fullness of Him who fills all and in all. I want you to imagine with me a little bit. Imagine if you were there when Noah was alive. You guys all, most of you know, know what happened with Noah during his time, right? The flood, right? But before the flood came, I want to imagine in every single, in everywhere in, uh, on earth, there's a, it's all dry. And by the penalty, by, by the judgment of God, all of a sudden these waters just flow flooding all over the world. And I want you to imagine how gallons and millions and trillion gallons of water just flooding it and filling the earth and what you would see as you can imagine, is there is not a place on earth that the water does not fill. Every crevices of the rock, every bottom of the of the valley, every piece, every space there is, is flooded with water. And that is what God intends for you and I as a church to do. Yes, we're the sons and daughters of God. Yes, we're the church. But who we are is meant for us to do something. And what that something is, is to be like that water, to be like that living water and that river to flood the ends of the earth with the fullness of God. Every part of the world, that's what God's image is for us here. What Paul's getting is the church is meant to bring the fullness of Christ into everywhere, who fills everywhere, in everywhere. And the reason why you and I need to do that, the reason why the church needs to do that is this. It's because we live in a broken world. All you need to do is just look up the news. Not too long ago, we have a shooting. Not too long ago, there were people who are, you can name it, there are fired, there is murder, there is shooting. There is broken relation in your life and my life. There are people, last week I alluded to this, this, this sad reality of abortion. There are brokenness in your life and my life, and we don't have to go far. There are people who are being disappointed. There are people who are disappointing other people. We live in a broken world because of this, this reality of sin. And we all live in there. We all live in as a result of that. And no government, no policy, it does not mean that we should not strive to be, be, be better. But at the end of the day, nothing in this world will solve the world's problem. You and I cannot be better people. Try that at home. Try to be better sons and daughters. Try to be better siblings. Give it a few days, it will not work. Try to be better husband on your own. Try to be better wife on your own. It cannot work because at the end of the day, we live in a kingdom place. The broken world. That there's a result of sin. And the only solution to that broken world, just like the only way for the, the, the dry ground to, to grow, is for water to flush through that. And the only way for a broken world to be restored is by the fullness of Christ. Namely, the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, is what saved people. Is what saved you. 
is what saved me, not only for eternal life, but for this life as well. You see, gospel is the only way for this world to be restored back to a while what God had originally intended to be. What the, the hardship that you're experiencing today, the fighting gotten with your parents earlier this morning, or with your spouse, with your siblings, the loss of a job, the loss of an opportunity. For Katie, earlier we heard the interview, maybe she didn't get a job. All of this is a result of, that's not what God intended to do, but when sin entered into the world, that is what messed up the God's original design. And we need the gospel to rescue us, to restore us to the relationship that we once had with Christ. And that is why you and I are called to have that great resurrecting power to bring the fullness of Christ into every nook and cranny in this world. Because if we don't, and God said that's the, that's the means by which he will use to bring the gospel to the fullness of Christ into the world. I think it's easy for us to sit in church. When we think of church, we think of building. But you see, the church is not a building. The church, the church is the body of Christ. We, as people of God, made up the church. See, the people, uh, the, the, the church is also not an activity that you go on Sunday at 1115 that you show up, or any other activities that we have at church. The church is an identity that we have. We are sons and daughters of God, and subsequently God said, I'm going to call you as a gather you as a church. And most importantly, the church is not a program or a venue. The church is the people of God saved by the power of God for the purpose of God. And we're running back again. The church is the people of God saved by the power, the resurrecting power of God. But there is something for, there's a purpose for the purpose of God. You see, we're not living the way the church meant to be lived out. When we just stop at being people of God, saved by God, the power of God, but when we don't go for the purpose of God. See, that's who you are. That's the be. And that becomes with a do, and that do is you need to be the fullness of Christ to every nook and cranny in this world. I came, uh, I came across this quote from a uh, from uh, a, 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 a missiologist. His name is Christopher Wright. Here's what he says. He said that he put it this way: It is not so much that God has a mission for His church, but that God has a church for His mission in the world. Let me unpack that a little bit. I think many times when we come to church, we say, "What is our mission? What's our church mission?" We tend to put church about the mission. You see, what he's saying is, throughout scripture, God did not intend for the church to have a mission. What God did intend from the very get-go in Genesis chapter 3, when sins entered into the world, when the judgment is put upon men and women of sin, God's purpose was to have this mission to redeem sinners like you and I back. God has always had this mission going on in the world. But the church is the means by which God is accomplishing that mission. So we don't have any special mission as a church. Every church of Jesus Christ has the same thing. Because God has been doing this way before this church exists, way before a mother church exists, way before any famous people church exists. God has been on this, on this mission of redeeming people. Bringing the fullness of His Son into every part of this world. And that's what God is calling you and I to do. So whatever that you do in life ought to align with this mission. 
If you're a student, what you're studying is not for a grade. What you're studying is not for a job. That's why I, I shared that interview with you with Katie, because, and, and, and even for most of us who are working, we tend to think work means paycheck. And even in an interview where she was not prepared to answer, it would touch on a deep part of who she is as a daughter of God. And that leads to what she ought to do as a daughter of God, as a church of Jesus Christ. We have a do to do because Jesus is on this mission. And every single thing that you do needs to align with this do. To bring the fullness of Christ into every crevice in this world. So what exactly does that mean? What does it look like in your life and my life to bring the fullness of Christ? It does not mean giving my phone number to your friends. If you want to know about Jesus, call Pastor Ben. That is not how we bring the fullness of Christ to the world. That may be one way, but I want to give you two things, two examples. One is a biblical example. Another one is I want to give you a historical example of how throughout the ages, how the church has brought the fullness of Christ into every nook and cranny in this world. The biblical example is from Isaiah chapter 61. This is the passage Jesus himself quoted in the beginning of his ministry and subsequently lived out and fulfilled. When I ask you, if I ask you, what is the mission of Jesus Christ? You tend to, most of you will probably say to teach and preach. Most of us may be thinking, oh, Jesus is preaching the gospel everywhere. Yes, Jesus did that. But when you read this prophecy and what Jesus did, and align with Jesus' life, you see Jesus did more than that. Here's Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 to 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is a prophecy about Jesus, although Jesus quoted it himself when he started his ministry. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planning of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall rebuild, they shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former de- devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. This is what Jesus lived out. You know what did Jesus do to be fullness of himself to the world? He actually be the good news to the people. He was the good news to the broken. Jesus did not just Preach it. Jesus did it. Jesus engaged himself with the broken. I will run through a list of people that Jesus engaged with. Jesus engaged with the handicapped people, the lame, the leprous, the demon-possessed, the tax collectors, prostitutes, Pharisees, Sadducees, soldiers, broken people who have every problem that the rest of society did not want to engage with. Jesus engaged with them and helped them. That's how we become the fullness of Christ in every nook and cranny of this world. We engage with the broken people. We help those who are needy. We, let me give you some example. Maybe you need to be helping those who are coming to our church who don't speak English. Because you speak Chinese. Here these new immigrants coming and getting engaged with, with our church and trying to learn more about Christ. Maybe you need to be translating for them. Maybe you can be the one who gives them rides. Maybe you can be the co-worker at work to actually bring breakfast when everybody else just come and take breakfast. Maybe you needed to be the ears for someone in your workplace, in your school, 
to hear their problems. See, for the rest of the world run away from broken people, being the fullness of Christ in this world, broken world means that we run toward those people. That we don't think we're about that, oh, someone else will take care of them. The, so, uh, uh, the, the government will take care of them. We need to be the people of God, bringing the fullness of good news of Jesus to engage, the, the, uh, Isaiah 61 says, to bind them up, to take care of them. Let me ask you this, who are the poor and needy around you? Who are the people around you that are brokenhearted? Who are the people who are living under captivity and addiction? It might not be drugs. It might not be anything that they're addicted, they are imprisoned by these things of this world. Are you the one who is being engaging with them, helping them to get rid of, of these addictions? Because if you do, and when you do, Jesus continues. He doesn't just be the good news, he also share, tell, proclaim the good news. Because Isaiah 61 says this, He proclaimed the good news, the, the year of the Lord's favor. It is not enough for us to just be good news for them. We need to tell them the good news. Uh, can you go to the next slide, please? There's this famous quote, wrongly addressed, wrongly given, uh, credited to a man named St. Francis of Assisi. This quote says, says, Preach the gospel if necessary, use words. And many people attribute, attribute it to St. Francis of Assisi. So basically, the idea is, just be good, and then people will know Jesus. Preach the gospel with your actions. But that doesn't work. Because even Jesus did not just be good news to the people. Jesus proclaimed the good news to the people. Jesus called people to repent, to believe, and to follow. So a better way of, trans a better way of saying this actually is preach the gospel since it is necessary. Use words. So to be fullness of Christ, we need to both be the good word, do the good word, be the good news for people, engage with broken people, and while we're doing that, give us an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he was dead, buried, and raised from the dead, how the gospel satisfied people, how the gospel rescued people, how the gospel bring us into fullness of Christ. That is your mission and my mission. That is what the church is meant to do. That's who you are. And who you are ought to lead us to what we ought to do. I said that's a biblical example. Let me give you some historical example. Believe it or not, for generations, thousands of years, the church has been doing, fulfilling this mission of being the fullness of Christ. In every arena in the world. I was just running through to you a couple things. From a technology perspective, uh, I don't know how many of you know about uh, Johannes Gutenberg. There is a Gutenberg Bible in um, Huntington Library right now uh, in their museum. Uh, he's the first man who invented the printing press. He was a Christian. He invented printing press for one reason, uh, for several reasons. One of which is to extend to print Bibles so that people have access to the actual Bible. You see, today you can just go to the back and grab a hard copy Bible. Back in those days, people have no access to a printed Bible. They just hear it from someone like me, and they try to remember as much as possible, and you know how well that works? Right? And they have no access to the Bible. And so what, what Gutenberg did, he wanted to print, not, not only for the Bible, he wanted to help people to be literate. They want people to learn how to read, how to write. He brought fullness of Christ into an illiterate world. But not only in, in, in technology that way, but also in establishing schools, universities. 
I don't know if you know many of the university, particularly in a Western Western culture, university and school education system are started by Christians, by the church. I grew up in Hong Kong. I was born there, and I remember going through, uh, and I was growing up there. Many of those schools are started by churches because they value education. When when Christians went somewhere for a mission. They're not just preaching Jesus to them. They want people to grow in as a full person. For those of you who are graduating, who, are, who will be graduating, hopefully, uh, even your regalia, believe it or not, it, it has it, its root in Christian, uh, Christianity. It was a Christian, it was based on the Christian universities that you wear those colors. If you get a, a doctorate degree, you have a certain color, your cap and gown, those all came from the Christian uh, 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 Christian churches. So next time when you show up for graduation, most people have no idea what their cap and count is from. It actually came, was influenced heavily by Christianity. Not only establishing schools people can learn, even in scientific discovery for many, 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 many years. Sciences was a subset of theology. In fact, they call theology the queen of all sciences. Many famous scientists were Christians themselves. Let me list some for you. You might recognize some of them in your history books or science book. Galileo, Pascal, Francis Bacon, Kepler, Isaac Newton. More modern, Francis Collins, the former director of the Human Genome Project. He was a faithful Christian. The reason why people back then practiced science is because they believed that there is a rational God. They believe that this God actually created the world and they are so passionate to discover what this God has created it. And so they study science. So for many people, when they get their science degree, they will also, they would consider getting a theology degree because they want to get to know God more and as a, as a result that they want to bless this world, bring the fullness of Christ into every nook and cranny in this world in the, as, in the field of science, in the field of medicine, in the field of engineering, in the field of physics. They want to bless this world with tangible things and be good news for this world. This is why between 1901 and 1972, I didn't know that I was shocked by this, between those 60 years, 84.2% of all American Nobel Prize winners in chemistry, in medicine, and physics are all Christians. See, most of us, when we think of Christianity, we think it's diametrically opposite of science. But here's what I want to urge for many of you who are students. Be good at what you study. Because when you're good at what you're studying, you can actually leverage it to bring fullness of Christ into every nooks and cranny in this world. We need better tennis. We need better doctors. There are still brokenness like cancer, diseases, terminal diseases. Go on this. Well, we need you to step up to be the, to be the sons and daughters of God who leverage the fullness of Christ into these wor- these places of the world. For those of who are working, we need you to step up to bring the fullness of Christ in the best way possible in your job. Because there are places, many places that I cannot be yet, but you can be. Because believe it or not, tomorrow morning when you all wake up in the morning, some of you will be at school, some of you will be at home, some of you will be at your workplace. I don't get to be in all those places. Nor should I be at those places. But God had called the church, you, me, to bring the fullness of Christ, all of Christ, 
to be the good news, to share the good news in every place. And so tomorrow, hopefully, in every city that you're stepping in, you are that good news to the people that God has entrusted you to be with. Maybe students, maybe your coworkers, maybe your family. We need to know who we are. The Bible said we're the church. And so let's not be the building. So let's not just be an activity. Let's not just be a time slot on your calendar. Let's be the people of God, saved by the power of God, for the very purpose of God, which is our mission for Jesus Christ. There is a broken world out there, and God said, are you going to play the part and bring my fullness to the world? Let's bow our head and pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for all of us here sitting today. I pray, I pray that the Holy Spirit will plant a deep seed of thought and reflection in us. So tomorrow when we wake up, when we wake up for school, to go to work, to take care of our family, Lord, that you will encourage and challenge us. To bring the fullness of Jesus Christ. You will bring to mind the things that we need to be for those who are around us who are broken. Who are going through brokenness. That you will open our mouth to proclaim boldly the mystery of Christ to them. God, I pray that you'll open up these people's hearts that we're engaging with. That your word will advance in, uh, uh, go in advance in their heart. That well, their hearts will be fertile in hearing about Jesus. But not only would they hear, but they will also see in us the beauty of Christ, the fullness of Christ in our own lives that they want to, they yearn for, they, they, they be able to be filled and satisfied by the hunger that they don't even know that they have. So God, I pray that this week, we'll, we'll, wherever we will live, work, play, and study, that we will be the church and we will do the mission or bring the fullness of Christ into every nook and cranny in this world. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.